This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, 6am on Tuesday, the 6th of September. Good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar, together with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. Good morning. Hello, 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 KL. And of course, all those who are listening on the World Wide Web. That is right. We are oh, here. App. Oh, your app. Yeah, true. We are here every weekday. You can find us from 6 to 10 a.m. Thanks for staying tuned. Uh, it is the second day of the work week in what is the ninth month of the year, September. We're heading ever closer to the end of 2022. Yes, one third left, right? One, one third, third left. left before the end of the year. One third is a long time for things it is to actually, happen. Yes. And, uh, An election could happen. Exactly. That's exactly what we're going to be discussing today and what everyone's really been discussing over the past few weeks. Have uh, they? I've been talking about mooncakes. Have you? So but, shallow, honestly. I know, You're but so there are no shallow conversations on the morning Not run. Not at all. Hello, it's a big business, okay? Mooncakes. Mm, lots Fine. of depth with yeah. mooncake. By but, the way, which is on the September 10th, this are Saturday. Are you a yolk or non-yolk? I hate yolk. Okay, I am a traditionalist. I like all traditional mooncakes. I don't like the funky ones. Like, oh, I like funky ones. Like the durian. I'm like, what is this? This is not mooncake. I fully agree with you. I don't like durian, but I just don't like yolk. There are some really weird ones. There was a coffee mooncake I saw. I there love was... coffee mooncake. What? Then why don't you just drink it rather than <laughs> eat it? I don't understand. But anyway, all do I find the best thing about the Mooncake Festival, aside from the mooncakes, is the moon itself. As you all know, I love looking at the moon. How ironic! I know, it's the perfect, it's a perfect circle. So anyway, <laughs> uh, back to our show, which is super packed. Absolutely. Uh, today we're going to start off with, well actually it's going to be a lot of discussions on GE15, on elections. Mm. Starting at 7.15, we'll take a look at PAS. They recently held their annual assembly known as the Muktamar over the weekend. So we're going to discuss how they are strategizing for the GE15. We'll be speaking to political expert Adib Zal Kapli for some thoughts. And talking about elections at 7.30, the UK just, the UK Conservative Party just concluded their own elections and they've appointed Liz Truss as a new Prime Minister after a long drawn-out affair. How will this shape UK policies moving forward? We speak to Professor Chandran Kukalas, Dean of the Singapore Management University for Insights. Then at 7.45, budget, budget, budget 2023. Well, it's going to be tabled on October 7th. Do we know who's going to do it? Is it going to be our Prime Minister, Dato Sri Ismail Sabri, or will it be our Finance Minister, Donko Zafro? Because didn't Ismail Sabri say he wants he wants to do it? But I'm not sure. We'll find out. Anyway, uh, Pankash C. Kumar is going to tell us about the likelihood of an election budget and the implications it could have for our economy. Lots of discussions today. We'll have all this and more today on The Morning Run, so stay with us, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was The Police with So Lonely. And, you know, this could actually be dedicated to Leonardo DiCaprio. No. Okay, because he's never lonely. I seriously Uh. doubt he's lonely for even a day. Well, no, for, no, maybe dedicated to the us, but not to Leonardo, no way. Why I'm bringing up Leonardo DiCaprio is because uh, you may have heard that he's recently broken up with his girlfriend of four years, Camilla oh, Moreau. poor thing. I'm sure he's finding somebody to be less lonely with already. But that's not really the point here. The point here is that Leo DiCaprio is 47. His ex-girlfriend just turned 25. That's a 22-year age wait, difference. Wait. So that means he dated her when she was 21, right? 21, 20, yes. 20? Yeah. Yes, yes. Exactly. But is that a big problem? 
is that a big problem? Is age gap a problem in all these relationships? And I think for me, the biggest issue with all these age gaps is that it's very sexist, right? Why is it always a big issue with the... Why is it not an issue with the older man with the younger woman? I think it is an issue, but it's a different issue. Yeah. Or it's seen differently, yeah? Um, so when you think about it, I think this has especially come to the forefront uh, thanks to Taylor Swift, who came up with that video all too well last year or earlier this year, where she kind of chronicled her relationship with an older actor who courted her when she was in her 20s, but then sort of left her hanging Hang. of sort, you know? And yeah. he was already like in his early 30s at that point. And that kind of comes, for me, what that comes that brings to mind is really just the power imbalance in these kinds of relationships. When you have an older man and a younger woman, and just how impressionable that younger woman is with this older person. And I think that leaves them in quite a vulnerable position. So that's one of the reasons why age gaps are a bit of a red flag for me. But what is the age gap that is right or wrong, right? You know, I mean, the, who defines that mm. this is acceptable and this isn't acceptable? Mm. For me, it's all about the power imbalance. So mm. I find that I'm a lot less um, troubled by age gaps the older people are. If you're in your 30s and 40s, you know, if there's an age gap between the couple, then I'm thinking it's fine. You're an adult. You've both had life experiences that shape who you are and you're better positioned to make decisions that are best for you. But can I talk about that Taylor Swift song then? Is this power imbalance most stark when it's an older man and a younger woman? I don't think so. That's the question I wanted to ask. Because, you know, the flip side is always about, you know, the older woman and the younger man. And like we call the older woman a cougar, right? And we don't hear about the issues about the younger man, right? On the flip side, with Taylor Swift, this is a mantha, the, re the reverse of the cougar, isn't it? A mantha? Yeah, that's, <laughs> Did you that's, just make up something that's no, going No, no, no. It's actually in the urban lexicon, right? Wow. The, the opposite of a cougar is a mantha. Why does it have to be a mantha? Why not just panther? Well, I don't know. <laughs> because, <laughs> but I think this is where, you know, building on your point, right? Is there an element of sexism in that age gap or I not? I think there is. Hmm. I think sexism is is very clear in, in the way we talk about age gaps, you know, that like and the whole cougar uh, term as well. Yeah. And where you don't really see that term mantha being bandied about for people like me. I had Leo. to research on it last night. <laughs> I spent a lot of hours doing this research. Well done, Philip. See, I see mm. you making good <laughs> use of your time. <laughs> yes, I am. But I, again, I think for me, my issue is like for, for many of us, right, Do as someone who is not attached at all, I always wonder why do I have to put all these age, all these restrictions to me. I just want to find love regardless. Okay, people, you heard it. It's Philip's yes, looking I want to find love. love. Why are you putting barriers to me to find love? That's my question. How are we putting barriers? But maybe that's a whole separate conversation. <laughs> whole separate conversation that's a whole separate I think, conversation. Yeah. Um, but I guess, can you think of any... Um, couples that have a significant age gap which have managed to traverse Catherine Zeta-Jones and Michael Douglas they did pretty well I think they're still together in they're fact they're still together okay um, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell is What's, there a huge age gap? Oh, I thought there was. Maybe well, the one, that's, so hot, the, right? the one that's very obvious is Emmanuel and Bridget Macron. And it's the other yes. flip side, right? Because she's much older than him. And they look like they're still very much in love. So you think the gap is not about the age, but the maturity gap? I think it's so many things. I mean, why a relationship works? Why doesn't a relationship... Mm. You know, as in why it works and when, why doesn't it work, right? Age is just one consideration. But a lot of it is your ability to, to connect. And it sounds really corny, but it is really true. So, you know, age is but a number in some ways. But it's true what you also say, Shaz. There has to be... 
almost an equal amount of power between the couple. The woman and the man, either way, must have the ability to say no when they're uncomfortable about a situation. And that's, I think, the consideration. And I think in society, we need to judge yeah, much less. Very true. I agree with because, you there, Xiaoning. you know, at the end of the day, we all want to find happiness, right? So why should society determine what is right and wrong? Of course, certain things, there are laws, okay? Don't break those laws. But beyond that, hey... Thresholds have to be met. Yeah. Find <laughs> happiness the way you can. Yes. I think that's a great place to uh, end this conversation on. But if you have any thoughts, what do you think about age gaps in relationships? Is there a particular, uh, I guess, gap that you think is more acceptable? Is there a difference in the way men and women are perceived in these mm. relationships? You know, tell us what you think. WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into some messages. We'll come back with a discussion on exit interviews and whether they're at all useful. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Come Undone by Duran. Duran, you're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. 6.20 in the morning on Tuesday, the 6th of September. Our next story is courtesy of The Economist's Bartleby column, which is Philip's favourite. Yay! This is the column that reflects on business culture and management trends. What we're talking about today is exit interviews. Now, those of us with storied careers in many different companies or industries, and I am looking at you, Philip C. and you, Wong Xiaoning, uh, <laughs> you guys may be familiar with being asked to explain why you're leaving a company. How or, many have you had? I've not had many, actually, because I didn't need to. Every time there was... A, the, the conversations took place way before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I right? don't think About you need you to leaving. wait for you the exit You don't need to wait inter- for the actual exit interview. So, I... You know, with my bosses, they were never surprised that I was leaving. Never? They were never surprised because they kind of knew already like six months or a year ago, like I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of trying you, different You verbalise it or they they get a sense from your, your oh, actions? Oh, verbalise, verbalise. We have okay. conversations and chat. That's why I've always been very blessed with great bosses who always so, much of me. I guess that's the best case scenario for a company, right? Yes. The fact that they don't really have to do these exit interviews because there's that constant communication mm. and engagement with employees to find out what it is, how they feel about their job. But for those companies maybe that have been blindsided or caught in a bit of a lurch, um, the exit interview, the idea behind it is uh, so that the company can gather feedback from this employee that's departing Mm. to find out what's working, what's not working, what maybe can be improved. Whether it push or pull. Exactly. Um, But at the same time, I guess the question I'm asking is, do exit interviews really work that way? And does it actually benefit the departing employee? I think it does. For me, in my view, it's it's, it's a situation or the circumstances as well, right? It's a circumstance in the function of who the interviewer is and who the interviewee is. And I think the company. And the company Company as culture well. plays a big role. Big role. Because if you're talking about it being structured, that people take the process very seriously, that they're going to collect the feedback and then make structural actions for the company, then I think it's very worthwhile. But I under, I realise actually many people don't take it very seriously as a company and organisation. Almost kind of like the yearly appraisal, yeah? Maybe they might take it as a box-ticking exercise. Like, well, we'll just do ye- this because it sounds good and, you know, it, it looks good on with paper. With yearly appraisals, you have an opportunity to convert it into a bonus. That's the thing, right? You could have, you know, pay-driven performance performance-driven pay, right? So that's why people take that even more seriously. But with exit interviews, there's perhaps no repercussion or consequence. Or is there? That's the big question. I think there's some level of use to it and it really boils down to the organisation, right? So, so many reasons it could be useful. One of which is that you do one... It depends, okay? So let's rewind. 
the exit interview, who is it done with? Of course, the person that's departing, but who is actually interviewing yes. it, right? So is it going to be the immediate boss? If it is, I will say don't bother. It's a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah don't bother. Agree. It has to be someone else, maybe someone more objective, someone more ne- neutral. So it to me, I've had it with a lot of uh, HR and I would have to confess, I'm not a big fan of HR because I'll tell you why. They don't know my job function very well, right? So they don't oversee what I do or have much visibility in what I do all the time. So maybe my boss's boss might be a slightly better because at least they have an indication of what role I play and what were the dynamics in the team and so, my contribution or my lack of contribution to the work. Yes. So I, I think it's a combo of both, right? HR and the boss of the boss. I think the boss of the boss is very important to understand the dynamics of the place. Mm. But HR, if they're very good, if they do multiple, they'll see common themes and threats yeah. to see what needs to be done. So it really boils down to the quality of HR, right? And how yes. the HR is empowered within the organisation. For some companies, HR is really functional role more than an advisory role. So mm. it depends. So I think that's one one thing. The other thing is the the questions that they have, you see, during the exit interview. How prepared are they? And I've had some really, I don't know what kind of questions they were. Like really, really, you can see they were just dotting the I's and crossing the T's. So tell me uh, how they go. Yeah, why are, why are you leaving? You leaving? Uh, did the other company <laughs> pay you more? They weren't interested in the, the thinking behind your leaving, right? Or... Mm. Was it a push? Like you say, Philip, was it a pull? Uh, how can they actually use this interview to do a few things? And it, actually for me, if I was in charge of the exit interview, there are two things I want to know. How do I ensure that the people that are good within my team stay back? What can I learn from this person that's leaving? And if I need to recruit, what do I need to do or add to the job to make it more interesting, to attract new people? So I think sometimes whether these thoughts come into their mind before the exit interview is done, I'm not sure. So I think that's when it can be useful. And I think one thing that the uh, Bartleby columnist spoke about is try not to use the exit interview as a a means of burning bridges. Yes, both ways, by the way. Thousand percent agree. Always end on a high. Yeah, it's for both parties to at least part amicably so that, uh, you know, and you never know, you could actually convert this exit interview into a client uh, as what Bartleby suggests. Yes, and I love the word. A good exit interview should should be about... Mutual graciousness when neither party has anything to lose. There we go. Well, tell us what you think. You know, what do you make of exit interviews? What are your experiences in going through exit interviews? WhatsApp us 018789 Tweet us at BFM Radio. 626 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. Taking you to the news is Peter Frampton with Show Me The Way. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Nick Lowe with Cruel to Be Kind. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. 6.41 in the morning on Tuesday, the 6th of September. We do have a message that came in uh, with regards to our earlier conversation on age gaps. Uh, Daniel uh, weighed in to say that one of the couples that he thinks of when it comes to age gaps is Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson. Yes, that's true. Kim K is 40. Whereas uh, Pete was um, around 28, 29, I believe. Um, that relationship did not last. But while it did, uh, well, it did go on for quite a while. They clearly looked like in Less love. Less than a year, right? It, uh, Hasn't he dated everyone in Hollywood? Perhaps. Perhaps. But love is blind. <laughs> love, much, is, right? love is blind. Love is love. Love is love. 
In any case. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we laugh with reference to Kim Kardashian there. But anyway, that's not the point. That's not the point. The, point, the point is... We uh, want to be happy. We we support uh, healthy uh, mutual relationships. In any sure. case, let's take a look at what's making headlines around the world. What has caught your eye this morning? Well, I think we cannot avoid discussion about the star frontline front page. Enlist, they trust. The Brit- Britain has a new prime minister. Or don't they trust? Or the third female prime minister called Liz Truss. I feel like that's a really easy. That was quite. It's a very lazy <laughs> pun. You think so? Uh, trust, trust. Okay. Or don't trust, trust. There we go. There ah, we go. A lot of reactions. Lots this of puns morning. there. Sorry. I, I sorry. That's your job normally. Philip. But I think the thrust of all this whole conversation. <laughs> oh my goodness! Go on, Philip. Is that you know she has to deal with the upcoming energy crisis that the UK is going to face this winter, isn't it? That is, I think, her number one agenda. She's made it clear that uh, she will make an announcement within the week on mm. how to deal with this energy crisis. Mm. Her uh, advisors have been in talks for weeks before this, so in a way, she has been preparing to take on the mantle. Uh, but how effective will her policies be? Is what everybody's really going to be closely watching. And I was reflecting, you know, because I was in hol- I was holiday in Phuket and I was reading the Economist. They were having a discussion about what's the best way to drive the right behaviours because the issue here is not enough energy, right? And the whole debate about whether you give cash handouts or whether you subsidise energy bills, what's the best pathway essentially Mm. to help reduce consumption? Because if you subsidise the the energy bills, you might still hold consumption levels quite high. Whereas what we actually need to do is perhaps reduce consumption and perhaps give the specific handouts to those who really, really are in need. So I always, I was thinking very long and hard about... Doesn't it sound similar to some other countries starting with the M and ends with the A. Well, I think <laughs> if you're huh? referring to our own country, Malaysia, yeah, yeah, well... but we do it differently. Ours is more the conversation about petrol, not so much about energy bills, right? Yes. So that's where, for me, it was uh, quite starkly. And just also another point, I found there's also a lot of parallels with Malaysia because, you know, with you respect... You mean she is also a prime minister that the people didn't elect? But never mind. Yeah, that's, that's one point. But the point also where I see a huge discord between the parliamentary party and the grassroots party. Right, you see the parliamentary I mean, banking the for MPs. Rishi Sunak, the MPs. Whereas for the grassroots, they seem to very much fall in love with Boris Johnson and also with Liz Trust. I don't know. There are quite a lot of parallels here with Amno, in my view. Here, mm, very interesting observations indeed. Well, we're going to be talking more about Liz Trust and what kind of prime minister she's going to be for the UK later on in the show at seven thirty. We'll be speaking to Professor Chandran Kukatas of Singapore Management University. So stay, stay tuned for more analysis there. But but meanwhile, other headlines. And you think that people in UK have a tough time. I found another country where the people have an even tougher time. Imagine having an official inflation rate of 80%. Oh, I know which country this okay, is. Such so, the T. Yeah, starts with the T and ends with a Y. Aren't we playing name games? <laughs> ends with an E, just so you know. Ends with yes, an E now. Yes, you're right. Ends with the E. <laughs> okay, so the Financial Times highlighted that Turkey has an official inflation rate that has exceeded... 80% for wow. the first time. But you know what? It was not that long ago when they did hit that number. And that was in 1998 in August. Is this a function of their President Erdogan also having these really funky, weird monetary policies that didn't kind yeah, of yeah, make yeah. sense? Yeah, he just basically cuts rates. He, he just felt rates. that cutting rates was the pathway. And is this, and the, is this the repercussion the of that? central bank uh, head like every few months because he just as long as they didn't agree with him he he would replace them he had a son-in-law so isn't it who was a finance minister or something to that effect yeah it's very bewildering and this was the point where I remember about 6-8 months ago many people were like criticising him why are you cutting interest rates right he felt that was it and this is the repercussion an 80% inflation rate That's can right. you imagine like wow. what is the cost of living like in this place it would be yes. insane right you would just 
just take, let's say you take $100 or whatever the uh, Turkish lira, isn't it? You take a 100 Turkish lira out to the shops. Within, by the end of the day, what that buys would be less than what you could buy in the morning. And I found it very interesting. If you actually book a flight on Turkish Airlines, everything is in US dollars. Yeah, because you don't want to have exposure to the domestic currency if you're an airline or if you're in any business. Mm. Because all you had to do was just close your eyes, collect US dollar, and then by the end of the month, you would have Forex gains. There you go. 6.46 in the morning. That's our roundup of headlines that caught our eye this morning. On the global front, we're going to look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals in just a bit. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. That was Time is Running Out by Muse. But we have all the time in the world here, or at least we do until 10 a.m. We're the morning run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. 6.50 in the morning on Tuesday, the 6th of September. We are are taking a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. What's caught your eye this morning? Well, I think it was a quote by our own uh, Yang Dipetuan Agong who said that Islamic justice does not give any privilege or exception to anyone who commits a wrongdoing, whether it to be oneself, close friends, family members or parents. Interesting. Yes. I, uh, yeah. What, what was the occasion I, in which the... He was trying to open this Pahang Sharia court, right, in Kuantan. And I think this, this, kind, this, this quote, I think, got grabbed quite a lot of headlines in view of the recent pardon process that's being run through now by our own uh, uh-huh. former Prime Minister, Nadir Sri Rajib Razak. And, you know, there were so many talks about how this uh, Agong, who was from also Pahang, was perhaps also good friends with the former Prime Minister and talks about this whole point about accelerating the pardon. But this quote seemed to carry quite a lot of waves across social media yesterday. Perhaps it's a timely reminder that really we need to really consider that justice really should not be given any sort of privilege, regardless and, of friendships. And news came out that uh, uh, for, Datuk Sri Najib Raza has actually filed for a yes. royal pardon, yes. yeah. um, which means that perhaps he gets to hang on to his pekan uh, seat for a little while longer, at least? Uh, until the pardon process is determined, and I find that very strange, right? Well, I was wondering whether the Rambau MP wanted to consider the pekan seat. Well, it's all down to uh, UMNO. It does, you don't get to choose, right? Uh, although apparently, and since you brought it up, the Malay Mail has has an article about Kari maybe running in Suramban. And of course, Suramban is Anthony Lok's seat. And Anthony Lok has fired back a gauntlet Kari in Suramban. Bring it! Says DAP's Anthony. Fighting words. I know. This will be interesting if it really did happen. Yeah, we should Uh, all head over to Nagris and Bilan then. Bear in mind, Anthony Lok is uh, Saramban's MP for two times already. Hmm. Will this be the big fight? We are seeing all these discussions on seat allocation bubbling to the surface. I'm sure we'll have many more uh, news coming out on this. That's true. Even Anwar Ibrahim is mulling uh, to contest in Tambun. So I think a lot versus, of people... Versus uh, Port Dixon, right? Which yes, is where versus he is Port now. Dixon where he is now. So maybe he's perhaps passing uh, Port Dixon to Rambau MP. We're not sure, right? No, he can't. Different party. La, different I know, party. I know, I know. You never know. But I think just to shift the attention to politics, because we had enough politics, have we not? No, no. One more, one more. One more. Okay. Let me let, fine, me, let me have my f- say. Uh, Malaysia Insight quotes Anwar Pakatan has not discussed cooperating with Muda. Uh, this really f- kind of had its own little firestorm on social media as mm. well. So apparently, it's it's not having this big tent approach at the moment. At the moment, I would honestly say 
everything is up in the air. Well, the question is, when is it going to solidify? Is it pre-election or post-election? Well, it does have to settle as a result of the election and then only the coalition building takes place after that. Who knows, but Muda President Said Sadeh said that the party is ready to cooperate with PH in the upcoming general elections. Uh, on the other hand, PH has said, no, not yet. We haven't had any discussions. That's the point about multi-cornered fights. Do you want to get into that space? That's the biggest issue, right? Whether you want to do this cooperation to avoid multi-cornered fights. That's the question they have to ask themselves. So we have a lot of these um, dynamics happening on both sides of the political aisle, mm. both on the opposition as well as within the um, incumbent government parties. We will be talking in a little bit to a uh, political expert, uh, Adib Zalkapli, about how PAS is strategizing ahead of GE15 and they themselves are kind of caught in the middle between two other Malay parties, between Bersatu and UMNO. How are they positioning themselves ahead of GE15? Will the coalitions come after GE15? Yes. All these things, something, things to keep an eye on. Well, shifting our attention to another storm, the Environment and Water Industry Ministry estimates 392 billion ringgit needed to solve flood woes until 2100. That's a staggering number, 392 billion ringgit needed to solve our flood woes. Now, if you contrast that, right, to what the minister was saying, there's an off-budget allocation of 15 billion for the period of eight years from 2023 to 2030. This 15 billion really pales in comparison to the 392 billion we really really need. I don't think that's even a bandage on it's, on the on you know on the kind of um, adaptation or mitigation strategies that need to be carried out. 15 billion over 8 years versus almost 400 billion. Yes. It's tiny. It's tiny. It's so small. I just I don't understand how we're thinking about it. Perhaps we need to really understand and actually even experience the cost of these floods to really say we need to make these investments then. And talking about government money, I am reading this in Free Malaysia today. Uh, this is from ex-education minister Mazli Malik. He says millions of ringgit, if not billions, have been misappropriated from funds meant for education. Somebody should be investigating this ASAP. I agree with that. Those are very serious allegations indeed. Um, I hope someone is on that money trail. We are coming up to 6.56 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And then after that, we'll take a look at how global markets closed overnight. Taking you to the news is Kula Shaker with Modern Blues, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.